Elven folk and knavish sprites Hang a pearl in every cowslip's ear Listen to the dulcet breath of a mermaid upon a dolphin's back And risk your eternal marriage for the sake of a little changeling boy to be your henchman It's time to talk tall to me. I'm so glad we came out to see this show. This is Shakespeare. It's culture. It's okay that we can't understand anything because it's art. It's it's nice that the tickets were free, though. Welcome back. I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moans. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A moonlight revel in the enchanted forest just outside the city of Progrock, in which Neptune, Nick, and Oberon Omen, neighing like filly foals, will beguile each fat and bean-fed song that bootless and breathless rock band Jethro Tull has ever produced. By fountain clear and by spangled starlight sheen, we will lurk in Martin Barr's bowl in the very likeness of a roasted crab— Jerry Conway will mistake us for a three-legged drum stool. Then we will slip from his bum. Down topples he. Cat Stephen cries and falls into a cough. Through our mirth, we will fright Dave the plowman peg, skim his milk and make him labor in the quern. And if we merry wanderers of the night can jest to our fairy lord and make him laugh, perhaps he will ask us to fetch for him a little western flute flower before milk-white, now purple with love's wound, the juice of which on sleeping eyelids laid will make man or woman madly dote upon the next live creature that it sees, yes, even if it is Ian Anderson. Did you ever play Oberon? No, I never played Oberon. I've been in A Midsummer Night's Dream. You'd be a good Oberon. You played Puck, though, right? I played Puck, yes, and you were in some kind of... uh, college uh, sort of very slutty version of of a midsummer night's dream no it's true it was slutty i had a i had a corset i was just one of the like the nameless fairies that followed uh, puck around you weren't even peas blossom or mustard seed nope nope you were yeah you were just no, just generic slutty fairy number five slutty fairy number five out of four oddly enough <laughs> yeah no that was my freshman year that was like the first show i was in at hofstra so yeah i was bottom of the barrel yeah bottom of the slut barrel I remember that corset. I had that corset for the longest time. I don't know why I ever got rid of it. Look what I found. Oh! <laughs> Listeners, he's wearing it. It's so... <laughs> this is your life. Nick, this is not... <laughs> Reminisce theater to me? This is not speak Shakespeare to me. There we go. Thank you. This is, in fact, Talk Tall to Me, a, a podcast in which we talk about the band Jethro Tull. So, Nick, got it. what is the song about which we have the pleasure of talking this week? I think that we ought to talk about Mayhem Maybe this week. Let's do it. Yeah, before we talk about it, let's listen to it. I love that idea. Nick? Omen? I have sauced me to bloons! I mean, if any song is going to cause the saucing of said doubloons, if it's not Pussy Willow, Mayhem Maybe's not a bad one to go for. Let me jerk off my jerkin. It's gotten a little warm in here. 
who's your, who's your jerkin? <laughs> I never asked his last name. <laughs> Nick, this song, wow. What a good one. What a good, fun song this is. What a great one. It's it's so delightful. You know, I think that we should be aware of our own prejudices and preferences here, especially. And this may not be everyone's cup of tea. Right. But screw those people. Forget it. This is our podcast. No, it's like, okay, so let's let's remember the context in which you and I met. We worked at the Sterling Renaissance Fair in upstate yeah. New York for many yeah. a happy summer. That we did. And those three other ones. Some shitty ones too, yeah. <laughs> but, and, and you know, that... It was such a wonderful, rich environment where there were all kinds of musicians who played various degrees of traditional music. You know, some of mm-hmm. it was actual traditional music. Some of it was actual Elizabethan music. Some of it was, you know, music from the 1970s that was played on a, a regular guitar that had a funny neck. And so it looked kind of like a lute. <laughs> and sometimes they didn't even go so far as to have a funny neck. Sometimes it was just a standard guitar. And they would but just yeah. wink at you a lot while yeah. you <laughs> while you listened. So I think for us, the sound of this song has a lot of nostalgia built into it, as does the content. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it sonically, it takes us back to that early, uh, not like mid-tall sound where it's folk. It's fast, acoustic fun, romping, mythical folk. Wow, I thought you were using folk as an acronym. Fast, obsequious, oh. Oh, that would lighthearted. Kick-ass. Kick-ass. <laughs> it, so it takes us back to Songs from in the Wood. Maybe, maybe Heavy Horses era. Not quite as dark in to, to go into Stormwatch, I don't think. But it really, like, those are the albums that were really important for me growing up. Yeah. You know, and I know they were really potent for a lot of our listeners, too. So this is a nice throwback to that sound. On top of that, yes, thematically, it does fit in very, very well with our experiences at the, the Renaissance Festival in our formative years. And also our experiences... Getting enchanted in the forest by mischievous sprites. Yes, that did happen a few times. You know, Nick, last week you were saying something that caught my attention. Usually I completely block you out when you talk. (laughs) I got through, finally. But you said something about how with Jacqueline that there was, it had an element to it both sonically and emotionally that you had been missing from Broadsword. Yes. And I was kind of like, yeah, I see that. But also I think Broadsword is fantastic. Listening to this song, I was like, oh my God, I've been missing this so much from Broadsword. Yeah, yeah, even more so. Absolutely, yeah. And I can see why it's not on the regular album. It it, it right. does feel, I can see how it could feel like going backwards in terms of the style. Right, or even just sonically like, oh, it does not fit. So we're not going to put it on there. Not not even necessarily a concern of like, oh, is this is this derivative? Are we going back in, in our style? Right. But if this was in the middle of Broadsword, it would be a little bit like, oh, what's this doing here? This is an anomaly. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. However, we have the advantage of living in the digital age, Mm -hmm. and we have the pleasure of hearing this track and what a track it is. It's so good. It's so, so fun. It is manic. It is funky folk. and, And everybody is just playing their heads off in this song. It's so great. It's so, so fun. What's our time signature on this thing? I heard you counting when we were listening. 
Ooh, we have we are under the spell of Prognik. A lot of it is in four four. Okay. I would describe this as four four plus two. <laughs> so is that one on top, one on bottom? So it's five five? Is it six four? No, is that's four, just a six? good time. Oh. Hmm. No, it's it's four it's four four with an occasional measure of two dropped in. I I believe you. I don't know how that could even work, but I believe you. The way I would count it in some of the verses is one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, but two. Could you also say that sometimes it's four, four, and sometimes it's six, six? I think you would say six, four, or six, six four, eight. right? Yeah, I mean, there's different ways of counting the same thing. I think that madness. the way that this feels to me is like adding an extra measure of two, but, you know, who knows yeah. how they thought of it at the time. Yeah, if they even thought of it. Maybe it was just so, like, just prog madness muscle memory that they could just do it without really thinking of the, the logistics behind it, you know? Actually, part of global warming was caused by when they started playing in this time signature and Pythagoras started spinning in his grave so fast that it tilted the yeah. earth a little bit closer to the sun. If they had just harnessed him for perpetual motion, like, we wouldn't have... We wouldn't have energy issues today. Like it would have been great. No, no, no. You use a fraction of a percent of that energy to actually play the tall. Yeah. Wrap him in in copper wire. Are done. And put him between two magnets. That's why I'm. That's why you're good. That's why I have this corset on. That's that's it. That's I it. use this corset for for wrapping dead historians, for dead philosophers in copper. We have gone so far off the rails. So we start with some really fantastic manic mandolin flute and acoustic. Yes. Right. Rocking the hell out of this thing. There's some, there's, some great drum in here too. There are a couple of beats in here where there's it's all silence and it's just Jerry's drum and it's like this weird like scratchy sound almost. I couldn't even tell you where it is. I'll have to find it. Let's talk about the percussion. Mm-hmm. There are a couple different elements here. There's a clear tambourine being used. Yep, great tambourine in here. There is something that gives the appearance of a sort of a hand drum, whether it is in fact a hand drum like a mm. like a traditional tambour or a bodron, mm-hmm. or whether it's just Jerry playing his drum set in a way that kind of mimics that sound. It's really hard to tell. There's also a sound that I think is probably Ian knocking on his acoustic guitar. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really funny, given the content of the song. We'll talk about it in the second half of our show. Maybe that's the sound that I, I was hearing that I thought was like the that odd drum sound. I think that might be it. It could be because it's very it's it doesn't quite sound like a drum, but it does sound. Percussive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go back for a second to the voiced instrument makeup. We You said we have acoustic guitar, mandolin and flute. Yep. How do you think that was recorded? Because presumably Martin plays mando. Right. And then yeah. who plays the flute? Well, it's it's clearly layered here, is it not? Right, but but how would you? How do you think it was? You know, how, which track do you think they lay down first? That's my oh, question. 
I reckon it's probably Ian on acoustic because I th- I think that's usually the case that he'll sit and noodle and bang it out and then everybody else can hear that and build off of it. That's kind of what I was thinking. At least nowadays. I'm not sure how it was back then, but I'm pretty sure we, we heard that. We I, we heard him in an, in an interview about Zealot Gene of how he 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 would do that. He would just sit. And, well, sure. And particularly now, especially because almost half of it was remote. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I was thinking is, I guess it's in theory possible that they recorded this all together with Ian playing and singing at the same time, and everyone playing together, and then adding the flute on on top of it. That's possible. That that crazy manic flute so over much the fun. top of everything. Yeah, it's great, especially that. That kind of flute cry about two thirds of the way through that. Woo! I love it. It's so eerie. It's like a bird in the darkness. Yeah. A darkness bird. A darkness bird. Yep. The flute and the mandolin parallel each other a lot. They run in mm-hmm. unison a lot, which gives you, you know, contributes a, a lot to that sense of manicness that you're describing. Yes. Yeah. 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 And also gives us that sense of like, the traditional element of it, this sort of English mm-hmm. air quality of it, where instruments are doubled and then maybe step out for a second. Mm-hmm. I think. I think also contributing to the manic is is Ian singing in this. He is nonstop. He is. There's an air of. I don't want to say insanity, but there's like kind of this. It fits the sound of his voice in this makes me think of early Ian prancing around on the stage with those wild eyes and that, that long hair just wafting everywhere. There's, there's a madness to his voice in this. And I, I would say that he is so close to just straining his voice. I know this whole album, we've Mm -hmm. been like, Oh, he's been in peak peak vocal range here, but he's a little strainy here. I think if he were to try to go any higher, he'd really be pushing it too far. I think that part of that is because of the key change that precedes we cross through fields of midnight green. So halfway through the song. There is a key change that goes higher up. Yeah. And you can hear, I, I, I definitely hear what you're talking about in that section where it's like, he's close to the edge. And I, and I agree that there's that element of like madness in there. You know what it reminds me of, Nick? What's that? One of the very few actual Elizabethan songs that we sang at the Sterling Renaissance Festival. Pastime with Good Company? No, that's another one. Bedlam Boys. Oh, Bedlam Boys. That was a, a favorite, yeah. That was great. And it has that same kind of like... Yeah, and we, we of course, we played it up for, for the song itself. But yeah, yes. absolutely. There's a there's a, a madness there, a bedlamness. And and now that you mentioned that, that there is that key change halfway through, I did notice it in the second half of the song. Mm-hmm. I, in particular, I, I made a note to listen to it for the first half, and I did see it wasn't that bad. That being said, I do I do love the insanity in his singing mm-hmm. in this. It works so well. It's so good. It feels a lot like a controlled performance of insanity, not like oh my God, is this person actually going mad as they're singing? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's it, he's he's putting on the character like he does for nearly every other song. Yeah. Yeah. And it builds, it's like a safe space for us to feel like we are insane with the fairies. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Ian, for that. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> God, I can't tell you how much I needed it. 
Bass comes in about halfway through. Really good mm-hmm. bass. No wonder the fight agrees. Peggy is, has proved himself. No wonder Fairport Convention kept him around for so long. I think at some point we're going to have to talk about the Fairport Convention to Tull to Fairport Convention pipeline. Yeah, I mean, we should really look at that family tree. There's a lot of cross-pollination that goes on. Yeah, Jeff just posted that in our Discord, which you can get access to if you go to our Patreon and subscribe. But Jeff posted his pictures of it. He must have just listened to to the Pussy Willow episode in sure. which we, we talk about it. And it's it's so cool. That's a whole episode in and of itself is You're like right. really dissecting that tree. It's really great. Well, and, you know, just for example, we have David Pegg coming from Fairport Convention and Jerry Conway about to go to Fairport Convention after mm-hmm. his time in Tull. Yeah. After having played with Cat Stevens. I, I, I was just going to say that. I didn't realize he was with Cat Stevens for, for the longest time before he came to Tall. That's so crazy. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Nick, anything else musically to talk about? Just that we have a uh, a fade out with just serious repetition. That if, if it mm-hmm. did not fade out, it would just it would just go on ad infinitum. It would last forever. It would be like St. Saint, Saint Gingivitis' Saint dance? What am I thinking of? St. Saint, Saint Vitus's dance, isn't Saint, it? St. <laughs> Vitus's dance. St. Gingivitis's toothbrush, I think, is, is what you're looking right. for. <laughs> the martyr of all tooth problems. That's right, yeah. And gum diseases. St. Gingivitis, we pray to you, and we, we look away from you. Yes, I give, I drop the blood of, this wine is the blood of my gums. <laughs> the crest of Christ. Nailed it. Oh, Nick, I am exhausted. Why don't we take a break? Let's go. Nick. Omen. Are you having any delicious beverages on this break? I am having oxygen that is stale and contained in this four by four by seven box. You all go bare and you live by the air and you want no bread nor money. Drink, drink nor money, isn't it? Meat nor money. Meat nor bread. I'll take it all. I want you all You don't want meat. it. Yeah. Subway has all of the meat. No. Is that Arby's? <laughs> we have Arby's. the meat? It's Arby's, yeah. May I tell you what I'm drinking? I would love for you to tell me. It is some lovely sparkling water, which I created here at the place that I'm living using a, um, a device known as a soda stream. Oh. We used our soda stream so much, it stopped working. Did you replace the cartridge? We abused it. I thought you replaced just the soda stream. You yeah. keep the cartridge. <laughs> keep the cartridge. <laughs> Nick, anything, any housekeeping to do while we're here? Yes, we are on part two of an email from Eldis Potier from last week. Last week, he gave us his lamentation and accolation, not a word, of us. I'll allow it. Uh, of of us using, if this song were a luncheon yes. meet, what would it be? This week, the second half of this email, we have his jump start. Like so many others, I came to Jethro Tull via an older sibling, but in a circuitous route. Ooh. I was nine years old when Aqualung came out. My brother Ian, yes, Ian, was 16. As you can imagine, in my eyes, everything Ian did was cool. Most of all, the music he listened to. 
he has since passed away, so to honor him, rather than put my name in the Ballad of Jethro Tull, I submitted Ian Alexander Porter. Our family was visiting another family in Minnesota, my dad's buddy from med school. They had a daughter about my brother's age. She was playing him a new album by this band, Jethro Tull. She showed us the album cover, and my brother read the back of it. In the beginning, man created God, and in the image of man created he him. She said, and this quote has been burned into my brain for over 50 years, it's sacrilegious as hell. (laughs) I don't remember the rest because then the music started. It sounded like rock and roll. Okay, my brother listened to the Beatles and King Crimson, Cream and Jimi Hendrix, so this sound was nothing new. Then the lyrics seared themselves into my nine-year-old soul. Snot running down his nose. What? Did that guy just say snot on a record? To my nine-year-old sensibilities, this was earth-shatteringly amazing. Hmm. Fast forward to 1974. I just got my first stereo system for Christmas. I put the stereo in quotes because it was, in fact, quadraphonic audio and had an eight-track tape player. Oh, yes, it was the 70s. You'll have to look quadraphonic up on Wikipedia where you will quickly find out it was a commercial failure. (laughs) There were hardly any records recorded in four-channel sound. But to give me something to listen to on my super cool quad system, my brother Ian found and gave me for Christmas the quad version of Aqualung. See if you can find the quad version of Windup. It's got a different arrangement for the first electrical guitar break. From then on, there was no looking back. The first concert I went to was for the Stormwatch tour, and I've been to every concert since up to the rock opera show. I think my favorite album is Thick as a Brick, but any time I listen to some forgotten album, including the recent A re-release, I get a new appreciation for how good it all is. I've just listened to your analysis of Beastie. That album came out in 1982 when I was in college. I remember being very concerned as Songs from the Wood, Heavy Horses, Stormwatch, and A all came out in the fall each year. It was almost like clockwork. Hmm. Then the fall of 81 arrived and no Tull album. The album finally arrived and caused another jumpstart related to the song Beastie. All who knew me by this time knew I was a Tall Skull. A friend of mine, I'll call him Chuck, heard the song Beastie and immediately fell for Ian at all. A hard-working pre-med student, he embraced Pussy Willow as the story of his life. He would rather have been reading about hobbits and Narnia than studying organic chemistry. But the kicker is, this lover of the line in Beastie about demon-haunted psychiatrists himself became a psychiatrist and has a practice to this day. Did Ian Anderson inspire him to embrace the shrinking of heads, or did his proto-Freudian proclivities lead him to love the lyric? Also, I took him and two non-Tullish friends to the show that year. See if you can get your hands on the production manual tour program. My friends all had a good laugh from its Pythonesque looniness. Best, eldest, Potier. Wow. P.S. Bring back the old podcast structure with background info and letters at the beginning. <gasps> That's my vote anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for leading us on the road to L. Despotier. That was quite a journey, and thank you so much for sharing so much about your experience with Tull. I did, we did look up 
quadraphonic sound, and it basically is, from our perspective as 90s babies, um, a precursor of surround sound. You have speakers at all four corners of the room, and you have to engineer it so that each track is specific and different. Yeah, very neat. It seems like the reason it was such a failure is because you had to, you could only play, for it to work, you could only play something that was specifically engineered for that, but it never got popular enough for that to become the dominant form. Yeah. And so stereo still reigned. But what an amazing, I mean, it, that must have been an incredible listening experience. Yeah. Imagine imagine if that had taken off, our headphones would just be four quadrants, like just above our faces. That'd we would great. have to have an extra two set of ears. Or, or that. That's also an option. That'd be really cool. But amazing. Thank you. What a lovely story about your brother and Ballad of Jethro Tull. A great way to honor the guy who, who introduced you to Tull. That's Indeed. fantastic. Just just great. Great jumpstart all around, Eldis. Thank you so, so much. I would like to raise a glass to Ian Alexander Porter. Unto ye, Ian. And also, I think that our new t-shirts should have the quote, the Talk Told to Me podcast. It's sacrilegious as hell. <laughs> I'll take it. I love that. That's great. <laughs> Nick, anything else before we move on out of this break? That is it for me. I think we are good to roll to talk about the content of this song. Nick, welcome back. This is the second portion of our podcast. Here we are. Let's talk content. Let's talk about Mayhem Maybe. Let's talk about Mayhem definitively. Let's definitely talk about Mayhem Maybe. So, <laughs> Nick, we kind of alluded to this with our introduction, but as a reason that I wanted to reference A Midsummer Night's Dream mm -hmm. and the work of Mr. William Shakespeare, the Jethro Tull of his era... The Ian Anderson of his era, I should say. Yeah, I think that's that's a safe assessment. Yeah. People often say that about Shakespeare. Yeah. A lot of the lyrics here are either direct or oblique references to Shakespeare and Midsummer Night's Dream itself, or simply to the world, the same world of mythology that Shakespeare was pulling from when he wrote A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, that's what it feels like is is kind of just a, a shared knowledge of the English fae world almost. Yes. Yeah. It's really drinking from that same that same wellspring and mm -hmm. boy is that water crisp. Oh, it is. It is refreshing. It'll wake you right up. If you could summarize the content of this song in five words, what would you say? Hooligans gonna hooligan. I only needed three. <laughs> I like, I'll take it. I, I was going to say, <laughs> fairies run amok for fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's really it. But I think, I don't know. I are. Is this one of those where you see everything as, as this, this surface level here as, as the, it's, we're all fairies. It's the fairies doing their thing. I would say broadly. Yes. But for me, this is. I would compare this song to one of those finely tailored garments where when you look at it at, you know, your first glance, it you just see this beautiful silhouette. And then as you look closer and closer, you see that the details are so rich and well thought out. Mm. And there are so many subtle uh, nuances and references in the material and the, the styling of it that, that it just becomes something you can't look away from. Yeah. Almost like a, 
vintage 2018 Dolce & Gabbana black suit with white piping. I wouldn't I wouldn't call 2018 vintage per se, but I mean, I, I think <laughs> no one asked something. <laughs> when we're working nights, the village round the old church becomes scary town. When we're working nights, the village round the old church becomes scary town. When we're working nights, the village round the old church. So it's it's broken up in his his scansion and yes. in the in the lyrics here, but it's it's the village around the church, and it's a time where where literally villages cropped up around churches. Church was the first thing you 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 put out there, and and the houses kind of grew up around that. That immediately tells me we're in an older time, an ancient time, you know, a time of antiquity. Yes, or at least in an older town. Or that too, yeah, that's valid. I mean, all all throughout England is is those older towns, right? Yes, they are everywhere. I mean, some of the towns are, are came about in more modern times, but there are you're never far away from a town that has been there for thousands of years. Yeah, I love the the statement that you know it's when we are working nights, when we're working nights, that not only you already have a very clear understanding of who the singer is. Mm-hmm. It's the we of the song, but right. it's also everything that is then described is described as work. <laughs> yeah, it's is, their jobs. Yeah. Their jobs. Yeah. So the we is us fairy folk, right? Us fairy folks that sweep from the hill, never caught us and never will, pulling roses and daffodils. As us fairy folks sweep from the hill, never caught us and never will. The, it was really the flower references that made me think of A Midsummer Night's Dream. So much of the imagery in A Midsummer Night's Dream is talking about, you know, the fairies are named after flowers. Mm-hmm. Their mm-hmm. whole plot hinges on a flower. There are, when the flowers are, desc- when the flowers, when the fairies are describing their duties, you know, one of them says, I must go and hang a dewdrop in every cowslip's ear. Like literally that fairy's job is to go and put a single dewdrop in this little flower. Yeah, it's it's Jack in the Green. It's Jack in the Green, but yeah. but if Jack in the Green is the responsible, I'm gonna make the plants grow because I'm a you know force of nature, these fairies come from a different union. Yes, fair enough. Yeah. And their job is to cause havoc amongst the humans. Mayhem, yeah. It's the backdoor angels on its head. It's really interesting that it's that the title is Mayhem, maybe, and and yet we don't. Only at the very end, at the very end of the very last stanza, do we get Mayhem, maybe. Every other time, it's Mayhem in the high degree. Mayhem in the high degree. What do you make of that? I don't know. Is it tied directly to that? The rest of that line. The fox stood still and far too bold, so we strung him up, brush neatly folded. Mayhem, maybe. The fox stood still and far too bold, so we strung him up, brush neatly folded. Mayhem, maybe. Oh, as if that's the one thing that they're Im- implying that they might do? Or or that maybe that one thing was not actually mayhem. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was malicious. Maybe, I, I don't know. Mm. It reads, I, I, I think that's great. It reads to me as the part of the terror caused by these working fairies mm-hmm. is never knowing when it's going to happen. Oh, sure, yeah. Any night could be mayhem, maybe. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it is mayhem, it's mayhem in the high degree. Exactly. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. I like that. I love that. I like that because at the, being at the very end, it feels like, oh, it's the end of the night. We'll see about tomorrow night. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. You can never tell. I find it really interesting that it ends with the fox being strung up, whatever strung up is. Yeah. Because traditionally, the fox, Reynard, is a trickster. He fits in perfectly with this crew. So, right. Is it then the implication that that they are so bad that they are even tricking the trickster? Or is it saying, you know, we're going to take the fox out of the picture and so your your upcoming fox hunt is ruined? Mm. Yeah, I think I think identifying the fox as a trickster as well is going a little too deep. I think it's an unnecessary deep dive. I agree. But I mean, it, it, yeah, yeah, it, it could it could have been anything. He he happened to choose fox. But yeah, I don't think there's more to read in. I think when I, if you, we look at the line a little more closely, the fox stood still and far too bold. So we strung him up, brush neatly folded. Yeah, he didn't run away from us. We were punishing him. Exactly. The fox made, right, all the people know to get the hell out of here. Curtain their windows and bolt their doors. Well, the blacksmith chases them all to ground. The blacksmith chased us all to ground. Yes. Okay. So this is where it gets really interesting. This is where, you know, on the surface level, we have this charming story of naughty fairies. Mm -hmm. But within it, there are even deeper references to older traditions or traditions that are maybe a little bit more obscure. Mm -hmm. In the traditional mythology of fairies and elves, one of the only things that they are dissuaded by or afraid of or allergic to, perhaps, is iron. Cold iron, yeah. So, you know, we have the tradition of putting a horseshoe above the door. And in America, we rather charmingly say, ah, we put it with with the horns facing up and it's to catch good luck. Or so the luck doesn't pour out. That's that's what I've always heard, yeah. But the initial, the origin of that is that these fairies Mm -hmm. who will come and mess up your house will be dissuaded if you have a piece of iron above your door. And so what are you not using anymore, that old horseshoe? Put it up there. Yeah. It's Passover. Yeah. It's you you didn't put lamb's blood over your door? Hmm. Tough tacos. You're going to have a bad night. Even, and I referenced this in the first half, even the Ian knocking on his guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't want to jinx yourself, if you're right. saying something, you say knock on wood. Yep. Knock on wood comes from this tradition of knowing that the fairies could always be listening. And so you have to knock on something loudly to disrupt them so that they can't overhear you or just to like, you know, confuse them because they might be hiding in the tree. Yeah. And we have a little bit of that with the Tinker Boys and the Sheriff's Men shaking the tallest tree. The Tinker Boys and the Sheriff's Men shaking the tallest tree. Yeah, the force that fights back is is on the smaller side. The Blacksmith, it's the Tinker Boys and the Sheriff's Men. They're shaking the tallest tree traditionally. Are they hiding in the tallest tree? Maybe. I don't know. But there's all the, but there's sort of this feeling that whatever the humans are doing, all of the kind of superstitions that the humans are employing to fight back against the fairies are completely ineffective. It's fruitless. Yeah, absolutely. Right. They searched all night. And we were never found. They searched all night. We were never found. You know, okay, maybe the blacksmith chased them away, but then the humans went out to finish the job and they had vanished and they, mm-hmm. they shake the tree. And meanwhile, the fairies are laughing at their, at their terror and messing with their horses. Yeah. It's mayhem in the high degree. It's like mayhem elevated to an art form. Oh, absolutely, yes. They, they've perfected it. They have had millennia 
to do this, and boy, howdy, do they do it well. That's it. I mean, that's that's really is it. I mean, for now, I do really. I just want to point out the line that I really, really love. We stole the screams from out their mouths mm. and go where no man would allow them. Stole the screams from out their mouths and go where no man would allow. That's just such a such an evocative phrase. It's so good, right? So so good. We scared people so much that they tried to scream and couldn't. <laughs> There's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. So I have. I have a theory here that I'd like to run by you. Run it by me. I'm so excited. So we, on the surface, we know this is, this is the, the, the POV of these mischief, make, mischief makers, the, the fairy folk. I, I feel, and I'm probably analyzing way too much, but I feel like having the old church be mentioned mm-hmm. and having all of the mischief being outside of that old church mm-hmm. the town around the old church is the scary town is this in some way an allegory for people who do not follow a religion who do not bow to the church and are therefore raising a ruckus the line Never caught us and never will is you haven't converted us yet. Never caught us and never will. Like scaly carp and feathered swan to nature's world we do belong. Like scaly carp and feathered swan to nature's world we do belong. They're pagans. They're running around naked in nature. They're not going to church on Sundays. That interpretation is sacrilegious as hell. Oh, sacrilegious as hell. But they're 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 just roustabouts that are, are just they're they're lads. They're what you would present day call lads. I've never called anyone present day a lad. No, well, not you. It's it's a British thing. A lad oh, is, sure. is yeah, lad culture. We yeah, or we what would we, what would we say here? <laughs> Douchebags. Douchebags operate within the system of of power that exists. This is more like the punk kids, the anarchists. Yeah. Okay, I see that. I, or, or frat boys, drunken frat boys. But again, they exist within, they are protected by the social order. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, love, I love this interpretation. Whether it is what Ian intended or not, I think it's a brilliant interpretation of it and, and very valid because whether or not it is about literal fairies or about people who don't conform to the societal pressures of religion and those institutions... It is about the tension and the conflict between the church and the, you know, the human working industry and the impulse of mischief. Yeah. Whether that impulse comes from fairies. And we've talked about this before, you know, is the Selkie a real creature or is the Selkie a way to describe a feeling that we have when we fear the water and the unknown? Right. Do the fairies, quote unquote, really exist? Or, obviously, yes. Or are they how we make sense of our own impulses to cause mischief. Yeah. You know, I get, I get lit up when we talk about cultural explanations behind fairy tales and, and myth and even religion. Like it just, it's just so fascinating. The human psyche explained in such a way. Yeah. I think that really works. It's just a bunch of hooligans, but why are they hooligans? Oh, it's the fairy folk. They're they're changelings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you look at Shakespeare, you know, a lot of the descriptions of the things that are going wrong are just normal accidents, mm-hmm. but that are, but things that are so frustrating and, and inexplicable at the, you know, in, the, right. in that world, like 
Puck is described as stealing the cream from the top of the milk. Yeah. It's like so frustrating. If you're depending on that cream, it's like, who yeah. the frick took that cream? And it could have been a roustabout urchin. It could have been a cat. It could have just settled. It could have uncoagulated. It could have done any number of things. Yeah. <laughs> right. You find something to blame. You need a scapegoat. Particularly in things that are inexplicable. Mm. You know, yeah. so it's so it's a fairy, it's the devil, it's the the little shit down the street. It's could be any number of things. Do you recall did we have this conversation before that the the notion of gremlins in the modern world originated there's a sort of origin point in World War Two mm-hmm. when the fighter pilots, you know, and flying was a fairly new thing at the time in terms of that that level. Mm-hmm. The pilots would attribute things going wrong in their airplanes to the gremlins oh yeah the gremlins got into the system and messed up my wires that's why yeah that's why this isn't working that's why i crashed or whatever right it's the same thing it's like you're you're operating in a world or with a with something that is more complex than you can really sufficiently understand and so you almost need this this external being that is that you can't pin down you know that you can chase and chase and chase and it'll always be one step behind you i think bringing up the gremlins is a really good a really good parallel here because it probably started. No, I could fairly confidently say it started with like just as a joke, you know. Oh, the gremlins. Oh, yeah, the wiring didn't work or something. We'll blame it on the gremlins, and then it spread, and people started to believe in it. There's a, a term for when enough people believe in something, it becomes a thing. Oh, interesting. It's called a tulpa. <gasps> yeah. The most recent tulpa that I can think of is Slender Man. Sure, sure, sure. Where enough people talk about it that, sure, Slender Man does not show up, but people have literally killed in the name of Slender Man. So Slender Man mm. is a thing. Well, and it's like all ideas, like, you know, the idea of money or time or truth. Right. None of these things particularly exist but if enough people believe in them but we have a concept of time and so we all agree that that's that you know and we get very specific about it yeah it's it's time for slender man it's it's slender time (laughs) not around here (laughs) well and and to kind of go backwards to to retro engineer that if you're trying to figure out the reason for something Let's take the airplane as an example, and you have two mechanics saying, well, it's the wires that have shorted out. And someone else says, no, it's because there's a bullet that went through here. And someone else says, well, no, it's because there's a flaw in the design. No one could quite agree whether we came from north or south. Yeah, exactly. Tore long hedges, stripping leaves. No one could quite agree if, whether we came from north or south. We stole the screams from out their mouth. Tore down hedges, stripping leaves. No one could quite agree. Yeah, you don't, you have no proof other than the leaves are gone. Could have been anything. Could have been anything. We didn't see where they came from. We didn't see where they went. No proof at all. But, but I I swear to God, it was the the fairies. I swear to the fairy king. It was the gods. Swear to Oberon, it was Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus? (laughs) Who turned this water into wine? I needed that water. (laughs) I can't wash my face in wine. Who resurrected my wife? (laughs) I needed that inheritance. Oh, God. 
<laughs> oh, Nick. Omen. What a great song. It's it's a rocking one. It, it really is. Oh, you know, I just wanted to point out something so obvious that we didn't mention it. Please. Ian Anderson has himself painted as a mischievous fairy on the front of the album. Yeah, I'm, that that's super valid, and that really makes this one feel like it belongs here. I mean, yes, it would. I if it were dropped into songs from the wood, I wouldn't think twice. Totally, but it's so poignant that he is he's depicted as the beastie. We have the song about the beastie, and this is him talking about being the beastie in a way. A different sort of beastie than beastie. Right. Yes. In beastie, it's a much more modern, psychological, dark take. This is yeah. this is just a bit of fun. Right. Just a bit of fun. Just a bit of fairy fun. Yeah. What's a what's a what's a noun that begins with K? A noun? Knife? Yeah. Something else. <laughs> a kite. Kickball. Mm. Kiss. Um. Knish. Ooh. Fairies opening lots of knishes. <laughs> opening? Let me just let me just open this knish here. <laughs> we can cut all this out. This is this doesn't make any sense. It's pretty good. <laughs> Omen, Omen, Omen. Next week, we're diving into bonus track number three. Any guesses? Hmm. Ooh, golly. I'm not well versed in the bonus tracks. Give me a hint. What's its title? <laughs> the, the, the hint is Too Many Two. Oh, Too Many Two. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. Going back to the modern a little bit. Modern yes, problems. I was going to say that. Yep. And, and sound wise, too. It's yep. that we 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 kind of step back from the the folk sound and we get back into our, our electric sound here. This has been such a, a wonderful dalliance in the in the traditional sound. Until next week, if someone has stolen the scream out of your mouth, try typing your feelings. For instance, in our Discord chat, which you can have access to for a measly five dollars a month on our Patreon page. In the meantime, we neither curtain window nor bolt door when you are going to your podcatcher of choice. So I recommend while you're there, you might as well just rate us and review us. Yes. <laughs> you didn't pull a muscle with that stretch. You, you took exactly, you took the one that I was going to do. Oh, no. I was going to do the Discord. So I had to re revamp what I had written. You'll laugh so much you'll split your sides when you get the two extra podcasts that are available to you when you sign up for our Patreon. There you go. Which also gives you access to our Discord. Until next week, I am the scaly and feathered Nick McGill. I am the terrified foal, Omen Said. We are the podcasters who set dark spirits free, the feckless moms. And this is the fox stood still and far too bold, talk tall to me. How now, spirit? Whither wander you? Oh, 
over hill, over dale, thorough bush, thorough briar, over park, over pale, thorough flood, thorough fire. I do wander everywhere, swifter than the moon's sphere, and I serve the fairy queen to do her orbs upon the green. The cowslips tall her pensioners be in their gold coats spots, you see. Those be rubies, fairy favors. In those freckles live their savors. I must go seek some dewdrops here and hang a pearl in every cowslip's ear. Farewell, thou lob of spirits, I'll be gone. Our queen and all her elves come here anon. The king doth keep his revels here tonight. Take heed, the queen come not within his sight, for Oberon is passing fell and wrath. Because that she as her attendant hath a lovely boy stolen from an Indian king. She never had so sweet a changeling, and jealous Oberon would have the child knight of his train to trace the forest wild. But she perforce withholds the loved boy, crowns him with flowers, and makes him all her joy. And now they never meet in grove or green. I found in clear or spangled starlight sheen, but they do square that all their elves for fear creep into acorn cups and listen to talk tall to me, which, as you know, is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network. <laughs> <laughs>